let's move into our lesson on Nehemiah for this morning. In case you haven't been with us, I'm going to give you the very brief recap of what's going on. Here in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has had it placed on his heart by God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And we started off talking a little bit about this mission that he had been given and how he took his time and how he planned accordingly. And then last week, we saw that he went to the city, right? He went to the city and he was still in this planning mode. And he spent a few days kind of working his way around the city to see what needed to be done. And if you were with us last week, you know that at the very end of last week, we see that he finally laid this plan out to the people that were going to be helping him to rebuild the city. And he got them all excited and he got them all fired up. And they said at the very end of last week, if you remember, they said, cool, let's do it. Let's go. Let's get this done. Because Nehemiah was a great leader and he knew how to inspire others. So we're going to kind of pick up right there where we left off last week in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles or your iPad or your Bible app or however you like to read the Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open that up and follow along with me, read along with me, because I think it's important that we not only hear the word, but that we see the word, that we read the word, and we really immerse ourselves in the word. So... Today we're going to be talking about teamwork, and I know this is one of those cliche sayings that you've probably all heard a million times before, either at work or on your sports teams or whatever the case may be, but I love this so much because I do believe this. I do believe in the power of teamwork, and I do believe that we're better together, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you're familiar with chapter three, you know that we kind of see this roll call of all the people that are diving in to help with this very, very important project, because you remember The reason that Nehemiah's heart was broken is that not only was the city itself torn down, the city that was supposed to be the dwelling place of God, but also the people were torn down. The people had just fallen away from God's plan for them. They had fallen away from the things they were supposed to be doing. Because we remember that God had been walking the Israelites along this path for a long time. So his heart was broken because the people were so far from where they needed to be. They were so far from doing the things that they needed to do. And we know that it takes a village. And we're going to see here today that this very diverse people with different backgrounds and different skill sets all came together to make this happen. Some of you will remember way back in 1992... And yes, I know those of you in my youth group are going, 92? But way back in 1992, there was something called the Dream Team. And if you're my age or above, um, you'll remember the Dream Team. It was 1992 Olympics, and for the first time, the Olympic Committee had decided that NBA players could play in the Olympics. And the United States was tired of losing in the Olympics. So what they did is they put this ridiculous team together. And again, if you're my age or above, you recognize some of these faces. These are some of the most prominent players to ever play in the NBA. Michael Jordan is up there. Larry Bird is up there. Charles Barkley is up there. I know it's weird to see Michael Jordan not wearing 23, but he's actually number nine on the Olympic team. But these are some of the best of the best players to ever play the sport of basketball. Get this. They won all of their games by an average of 44 points per game. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with basketball, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. That is a big gap. It was, almost, it was almost a joke how much better they were than all of the other teams that they played against. 
And matter of fact, I've often heard sportscasters say some of the best basketball games ever played were at the practices of the Dream Team when they did five-on-five -five scrimmages against each other because those were way closer than any game in the Olympics that year. But the reason that I bring this up is when they built the Dream Team, they took the best point guards, they took the best centers, they took the best forwards, and they brought these guys together, and they were unstoppable. There's probably never been a more dominant team in sports history than the 1992 Dream Team. They couldn't be beaten, they couldn't be stopped. Beat their opponents by 44 points, which as a sports fan, I just can't even imagine. That's kind of laughable. But they came together with one mission, with one goal, despite they had very different backgrounds, very different skill sets, and very different abilities. And that's exactly what we're going to find today in Nehemiah chapter 3, is different people from different places, from different backgrounds, with different skill sets, all came together with one mission to accomplish the task. And that's a perfect microcosm of what we have here at our church. We have lots of different people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different spiritual gifts that they've been given. But we have to come together and use those gifts to do the work of the Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about here today. Now here's the good news. Is God's plan for your spiritual growth and the growth of the Christian community and the growth here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ is for us to be in this together. We're in this together. We are better together. We see all the way back from the book of Genesis that it's not good for anyone to be alone. And it's not good for us to do this life, to do this pursuit of Jesus alone. Nehemiah got this. And we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to look at some of these different people today that he recruited. So again, if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says, Elishabib, the high priest... And his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. It says they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the, the Tower of Hanal. It says the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachur, son of Imri, built next to them. Now, we have to remember that everything that we find in the Bible is there for a purpose. It's there for something for us to learn from it. And I think that Nehemiah chapter 3 is a perfect example of that. Because notice that he mentions the very first thing that he says is the high priests and his fellow priests went to work and built the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate would have been where the sacrifices were brought in. So it would have made sense that the high priest would have been building that section. But, but I love the fact that he starts off with telling us about how the high priests were there getting their hands dirty and doing the work. Because remember, in this time and place, the high priests would have been, quote unquote, above this kind of work. They wouldn't ordinarily have done these kinds of things. But we start off, and the very first thing we see is that even the high priests were on board and on, and on task with doing the mission. So let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 3 and verse 4. It says, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasenah. It says, They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. It says, Merimoth, son of Uriah and son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. 
It says, next to him, Meshulam and Barakiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. And again, don't get too hung up on the actual names themselves. The point Nehemiah is trying to make is all of these different people from different places with different backgrounds came together to do this work. So let's go ahead and pick up in verse 5, and we're going to stop here for just a few minutes. But it says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. So here we see the first kind of rift, right, in the, in the team here. We see the first kind of rift in the team, and that was the Tekoites. The Tekoites thought they were above this kind of work and decided, you know what, we're just not going to do it. Yeah, we know that Nehemiah, who is the, the foreman, if you want to call it that, or who is the boss of this project, has asked us to do something, but we're just not going to do it. Do you guys ever know people like that? Maybe on your sports teams, the one person that thinks they don't need to practice, or they don't need to run laps, or they don't need to put in their gym time. Or maybe it's at your place of business or your place of work. You know, maybe everybody else, you know, helps clean up at the end, but you, there's that one person that says, I don't have to do that. I'm above that. Well, that's exactly what we see going on with the Tekoites. And the funny thing is, even today, 2000 and something, some change years later, that's still what they're known for by Bible scholars. If you mention the Tekoites, the first thing people say is, oh, they were the ones that wouldn't work, right? So they, they be, they've become known for that. And Nehemiah is pointing that out. Look, everybody else is working, except for this one group who said, I don't need to do that. So maybe you can think of people in your, in your sports teams. Maybe you can think of people at your workplace that are, that are doing that same kind of thing. And how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel when somebody else says, you know what, I'm too good to do the work that I've been asked to do. I don't need to do that. And think about how that does for the morale of everybody else around those people when they say, nope, not going to do it. We all get called to do things that are not always fun. We get called to do things that are very difficult sometimes. But what if we all, like the Tekoites, just said, not going to do it? What if we all said, look, I'm not going to invite people to church? What if we all said, look, I'm not going to talk to people about Jesus? What if we all said, hey, I'm not going to work to advance the kingdom? What would happen to not only our church, but the church, if we all had that attitude of, I'm not going to do it. I tell you, we'd be shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And sadly, I've seen it happen in churches where nobody wants to do the work. Nobody wants to get their hands dirty. Somebody else can do it. I'm too good for that. Well, if nobody does the work, then what happens? The work doesn't get done. Let's go ahead and skip forward to, to verse uh, 6 and 7. It says, the Jehoshanah gate was repaired by the Joada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. It says, they laid its beams and put its doors with the bolts and bars in place. It says, next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, Melatiah and Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, 
places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. So again, he's just pointing out, look, people from all over are coming together to do this important work. Let's skip ahead to verse 8. It says, Uziel, son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths, replaced the next section. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. Does anybody else see that and go, wait a minute, a goldsmith is building the wall? That really caught me off guard the first time I read this. I thought, wait a minute, why is the goldsmith doing stonework or mason work or laying bricks or whatever, however you want to look at it? Well, he's doing it because he's doing whatever he can to accomplish the mission. That clearly wasn't his specialty, but yet he did it anyway. Let's keep reading. It says, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. Now, personally, if I were doing this, if you were here last week, I'd have put the perfume makers next to the dung gate, but that's just me. Maybe that's one place Nehemiah had a little bit of oversight in his leadership. Just saying, I probably would have put them there. But again, the point is the perfume makers were making repairs. They didn't say, no, 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 I can't do that. I only make perfume. They said, hey, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it. And that is so important. So important. It says, they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. It says, Repahiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. So here we have the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem in there getting his hands dirty next to the perfume makers, next to the high priests. Look at verses 10 and 12. It says, adjoining this, Jedahiah, son of Harump, made repairs opposite his house. Now, this is key. This is key. Nehemiah was a great leader, and we've established that, I think, at this point. But this is one of those verses that'd be really easy just to kind of skip past and not really put any thought into it. But think about this. He put him making repairs opposite his house. Why do you think that's important? If you were building a wall in front of your house for safety, don't you think you'd do it the very best that you possibly could? I know I would. If I needed to put up some kind of wall or some kind of fence to provide for my own safety, I'm going to do it the absolute best that I possibly could. And see, Nehemiah got that. So as he's putting these people in places and he's putting these people in their spots, he literally put them right across from their own house because he knew they were going to do the very best that they could to protect their house. And you may be saying, well, look, I don't need to build a wall at my house. But maybe we need to build a wall in ourselves. Maybe we need to build a wall around ourselves to keep the enemy out. Maybe we need to build a wall around our church to keep the enemy out. See, we have to look at these parallels and these things that we can pull from these types of scriptures. But anyway, we, we see that he, he was literally building right across from his house. It says, Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. And then it says, Malkajah, son of Haram and Hashub, son of Faith Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of Ovens. It says, Shalom of the Helohesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. 
Why do you think that Nehemiah includes that part in this particular scripture? He's trying to prove the point, once again, that everybody was doing the work. Not only was this guy doing the work, but he had his daughters out there doing the work. He had his daughters out there getting their hands dirty. You think about this. You think about building a wall, back, especially back in these times. It wasn't done with heavy equipment the way we would do it today. They didn't have heavy equipment back then. This would have been hot dry, dusty, dirty work. And it would have been very, very difficult. So when I look at the last part of this scripture where it says, with the help of his daughters, it proves to us once again that everybody's on board. Everybody's on board, except for the Tekoites, of course. Everybody else, though, is on board and doing the work that they've been given to do. So what do we draw from this story? What is our work that we've been given to do? If you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about that vision that God has for us, and we also talked about that vision that God has for the church. And that that vision for us was what? To love God and to love others. So are we doing that? Are we truly showing love to others, or are we like the Tekoites and going, eh, don't really want to do that. Let somebody else do it. Are we ministering to those who need us the most, or are we turning our back and going, you know what, don't really want to go deal with these people. I don't really want to go talk to that homeless person. I don't really want to share this with my friends at work because I'm afraid of what they may think or what they may do. We have to look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus ate with prostitutes. Jesus ate with sinners. And he got criticized for that all the time. Why do you do that? Why do you associate with these people? But Jesus knew that he had to take the gospel to where the people were. And that's exactly what we have to do. Because I'll tell you right now, if we just sit here in this building on Sunday mornings and wait for people to knock on the door, it's not going to happen. Maybe a few. But in the big picture of things, it's not going to happen. Just like if you're looking for a job. Do you just sit at home and wait for somebody to, to send you an email saying, hey, I'd like to offer you a job? No. You're out there putting feelers out. You're putting applications out there. You're searching websites and job sites. You don't just sit and wait for the job to fall in your lap. Now, it's great when it happens, but that's not usually the best way to find a job. Just like that, we need to be loving God and loving others. And what is the vision for the church? The vision for the church is for us to all come together to do the work of the church. See, we all have different spiritual gifts. My gifts are not the same as Jesse's gifts which aren't the same as Brandon's gifts, which aren't the same as Bruce's gifts or Doug's gifts. We all have different gifts. Our job is to figure out what that gift is and use it. If you've never taken the spiritual gifts assessment, um, let me know or let uh, Ken DeBose know. Because it's this wonderful document and you kind of go through and you answer some questions and it helps you kind of determine what your spiritual gifts are 
and then how we can plug those in. Because, see, we all have gifts, and they're very different. Maybe your gift is teaching, or maybe you're scared to death of public speaking, so teaching would not be your spiritual gift. But maybe you're really good at making connections with people. I know some teachers who aren't really good at making connections at people. So maybe that's your gift. Maybe your gift is that you can sit down and have those heartfelt, difficult conversations with someone. Maybe your spiritual gift is cooking. Maybe you show love through cooking for others. And again, we're in this silly pandemic crazy time that we're dealing with so things are a little bit different but normally you know we have our comfort cafe which meets on Thursday nights where we welcome people from our community in that need a hot meal maybe that's your spiritual gift is that you love to cook and you love to bless others with your time and your talents all spiritual gifts are important we we don't all need to be teachers and preachers we need people that can just show love to each other. So just like they did in Nehemiah, it takes all of us with our different skills and our different talents and our different abilities to make the church work. We talked about the dream team earlier. What would have happened if when they were building that dream team, they only got guys that could play defense? Nobody that could shoot the ball. We've got all defense only. You think that team would have been very successful? Probably not. They might have stopped the other team from scoring, but if you don't score yourself, you can't win a game. It's the same thing with the church. We all have very different skills and abilities. And that's, that's what makes it so wonderful. If we could all only do one thing, we'd never accomplish the mission of the church. Maybe you're a great communicator. Maybe your strong suit is is reaching out to people and following up with people and staying on top of conversations and communications. That's a spiritual gift. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to use your spiritual gifts. You can be in any profession, in any job, as long as you do it in a way that honors God and you're sharing Jesus with others. So we got to be like these folks from Nehemiah. We all come from very different backgrounds. We all come from very different places. And we all have very different skills and abilities. But in our story today, we had everything from high priests to perfume makers side by side rebuilding the wall. You know, we're, we're, as Ken mentioned earlier, we're, we're hopefully getting ready to come out of this pandemic, right? And things are going to go back to whatever sense of normalcy we can have these days. Now's the time that we have to refocus our efforts. Now's the time we have to think about what are the gifts that I bring to the table? And how can I help advance the message of Jesus through the gifts that I've been given? And that's what I want to encourage you to think about this morning. And what I want to encourage you to think about over the next few weeks. Maybe you know good and well what your spiritual gifts are. Great, how can you plug it in? to help us here at the church to reach more people for Jesus. Let's look at a couple of New Testament scriptures that go right along with this story from Nehemiah. And I love these Old Testament stories, and they have some great information, but I also love just connecting this back to the New Testament. If you look at 1 Peter 5, verse 8, 
It says, be alert and of sober mind. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We're talking about this idea of building walls. And some of us live in gated communities, and some of us don't live in gated communities, and some of us have big fences or gates around our homes, and some of us don't, and that's okay. But what this is talking about is the enemy is prowling around and searching for people to devour. And of course, what that means is Satan wants to get inside of your head and inside of your heart and destroy your relationship with Jesus. One of the reasons that they wanted to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem was for protection. And see, we've got to build our own walls for the same reason. And we do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that by spending time in the word. We do that through our prayer life. And that's how we build that wall around us. So that when the enemy, like it says here, is looking for someone, and they're looking for that person that they can take control of, they're going to look at us and go, no, 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 I can't get past that wall. I'm going to move along to somebody else. And that's what it's all about. Last scripture as we get ready to close. I want to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. So again, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Does that ring a bell from our, our lesson from today, the Tekoites who thought they were too good to do the work? Right here, Paul's reminding us, no, no, no. None of us are too good to do the work. We all have to approach this with humility and figure out what our part is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We talked a little bit in the last couple of weeks about the early church and how they, they came together and they, they did everything together. They ate together every day and they, they brought all their possessions together and divided them up amongst the people to make sure that everybody had what they needed. We're one body. We're made up of many different people, right? And that's, that's fantastic. That's exactly what it should be. But we're one body working towards the same goal. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. It says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. It says, If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love this passage so much because it reminds us that all of our gifts are different. And that doesn't make one better than the other. They're just different. Because it takes many different people with many different gifts to be successful. So what is the bottom line? The bottom line is everyone has a role. Everyone has a place. And there's great work to be done in our community and in our church. The question is, are we going to be like the high priests 
and the blacksmiths and the perfume makers? Or are we going to be like the Tekoites and say, you know what, somebody else will do it. I don't need to do it because somebody else is going to take care of it. Don't be like the Tekoites. Be like the perfume maker. <laughs> be like the perfume maker who wasn't afraid to go out and learn a new skill and build the wall because that's what needed to be done. So what are our takeaways? What, what do we learn from this story? What can we apply to our daily lives? We need restoration. And when I say we, I'm talking about the collective we. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about our nation. We need restoration and revitalization, just as they were trying to do with Jerusalem. And what a great opportunity we have as things are starting to change, to really change our focus to that. We need protection from the enemy, and we just talked about that. Everybody's got to get dirty. In the story, everybody got dirty, right? All the way from the high priest to the daughters. We got to get dirty. We got to do things that make us uncomfortable sometimes. We got to build each other up. We got to build each other up. Nehemiah was able to motivate these people to do the work. Do we spend our time building each other up or tearing each other down? Do we spend our time nitpicking all of the little things that somebody may do that we don't agree with or we don't like? Or do we build each other up? Do we learn from our mistakes? Do we edify one another for the greater good? We got to use our gifts and we got to rise up and we got to build. We got some rebuilding to do, right? We got some rebuilding to do. And there's no reason that we can't do it. Prior to the, prior to the, the pandemic a year ago, whatever you want to, however long ago that was at this point, we used to have 165, 175 people in this auditorium. And I think that not only can we get back to that, but I think we can go beyond. I don't know what our actual capacity in here, it's something crazy like 350. How awesome would it be to come in here on a Sunday morning a few months down the road and see every one of these seats filled? What an awesome problem that would be to walk in on a Sunday morning and go, oh man, where am I going to sit? Right? Wouldn't that be a cool problem to have? Wouldn't it be a cool problem to have to walk in on a Sunday morning and be like, oh, my favorite seat's taken, and my second favorite seat's taken, and my third favorite seat's taken. Man, I'm going to have to sit in the back row. It can be done, but it takes all of us working together. Nehemiah couldn't build the wall by himself, and guess what? Nobody in this church can build the church by themselves but we've got to be willing to do the work. Next week, we're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 4, so if you want to read ahead, um, and if you want to finish chapter 3, it's a whole lot more names, but you're welcome to do that. But, but I think you got the point of why we went through only 12 verses of the names, because if I have to say any more names, I'm going to lose it. Um, but anyway, uh, next week, we'll start in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll continue this story of this rebuilding and revitalizing of a nation. Now this morning, maybe you're here with us this morning and you've never had the chance to be baptized. Maybe you've never had the chance to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that here this morning. Or maybe you've been a Christian your whole life 
and you've fallen away from that relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you've, you've become like the Tekoites and just kind of, you've kind of pulled back and said, you know what, let's, let's let other people do the work. I don't want to do the work anymore. What a great opportunity you have this morning as we, as we start this new week. as we, You can start that new chapter in your life. We would love for you to come forward. We can talk with you. We can pray with you. We can help you in any way that we can. And if you're in part of our live stream audience, please feel free to reach out to me, reach out to the church. We would love to help you in any way that we possibly can. And maybe this isn't just a time of renewal and revitalization for our church and our neighborhood and our nations, but maybe it's a chance for you to revitalize that relationship with Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, we want to ask you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king. Because he gave his everything. Because he gave his everything. Amen. What a perfect song for us to end on as we're talking about the need for us to get busy and do the work. We're reminded that Jesus gave everything for us, are we doing the same for him? As we look forward, just a couple things to remind you guys about. If you've not been a part of our Wednesday night Bible study, I want to invite you to do so. The link goes out every week. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, Brother Glenn Roberts uh, just started a brand new series, so a great chance for you to jump in on this Roman series. Um, and if you missed last week, that's okay. Uh, you'll be ready to jump in this Wednesday night and be a part of that great Bible study. Also, I want to remind everybody that we have Easter coming up. Easter is the first Sunday of April. What a great opportunity to start planning for that. I want to encourage all of you, because Easter is one of those days that everybody kind of thinks about going to church. I want to invite you to start thinking about people that you could invite to church on Easter Sunday. I want you to start thinking about people who could benefit from being exposed to the great resurrection message of Jesus Christ and the hope that that gives us. So start thinking about that. Start planning for that. Start putting the feelers out. You know, give them a couple weeks notice so they can't give you the excuse that they already have something planned for that Sunday. But think about who you could invite that needs to hear that message of hope that we'll have on Easter Sunday. Would you please join me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that we've been given. We thank you for this opportunity that we have just to come together and focus on you to start our week with songs of praises and prayers, to start our week just spending some time in your word. And Heavenly Father, we just pray that, just as they did in Nehemiah, that we'll all come together. We'll all come together to just focus on the work that you would have us to do. And that as we just sang a few minutes ago, we will truly give you our everything. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the body that meets here in Mission Viejo and around the world. We're thankful for all of the the people that you brought into our lives and the blessings that they are. And we just thank you so much for all that you do for us. And we thank you most of all, Heavenly Father, for sending your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, I want to thank you all for being here today and have a fantastic week. Took a breath, you breathe your life in me.
have been so, so kind to me.